Hello, one and all, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you are all having a fantastic day so far, regardless of if you're listening to this in the morning, afternoon, not even on a Wednesday, whatever. I just hope you're having a fun day and a fun week. It has been an interesting week for your boy, Logan Blackman. But the one thing I want to talk about first, before we get into the main things of the show, is the greatest American hockey player of all time, Patrick Kane, has reached game 1,000 in his career. He's the seventh Chicago Blackhawk player to do that, and the third of this core of players that won three Stanley Cups in 10 years, or in five years, I should say, the others being Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook. With Brent Seabrook recently retiring, the core that all Chicago Blackhawks fans that are my age grew up with are slowly fading away. And it's sad. It's very sad. In this thousandth game for Patrick Kane, he's 32 years old. And right now, and I found this awesome. I love that this is happening. He is the second, the what do you want to call it? The second favorite to win the Hart Trophy, which is the NHL's MVP award. At the opening night, when the Blackhawks took on the Tim Bay Lightning and lost 5-0, he was plus 3,000 odds. As of March 1st, he was plus 900 odds. Currently, he is plus 350 odds, with the favorite being, unsurprisingly, Connor McDavid. The other ones being on this list are Austin Matthews at plus 450, Anze Kopitar, at four, plus 1,400, and Mitch Marner at 1,600. Oh, man. Oh, man. Patrick Kane is, he might be 32 years old, but he's not done. And that's the exciting thing about Patrick Kane. And I hope and pray that him and Taves and Keith all end their careers in a Chicago Blackhawks sweater, much like Brent Seabrook and Corey Crawford did. Because those are, this is the, this is getting sad. You see this in sports. We are getting to that age in sports, at least people that are my age, where all your favorite players from when you were growing up are starting to get older and get retired or closer to retirement. And it's sad. Because then you go back and watch the YouTube highlights and go and watch all the greatest Patrick Kane penalty shootout moments. Oh man, or just shootout moments. I guess soccer just calls them penalty shootouts. But go and watch that. It's one of the, Best videos on YouTube, bar none. I've watched Patrick Kane dominate the NHL ever since he stepped foot into the league. And I'll never forget watching the Stanley Cup final against the Philadelphia Flyers in 2010 over at my Nana and Papa's house. Overtime is about to start. And I say, Dad, he's in like the little sunroom area. I said, Dad, overtime's about to start. You got to get in here. He said, yeah, 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 I'll get in there. I'll be in, I'll be in there really quick. Long story short, he wasn't in there. And Patrick Kane Scored the goal that only he knew he scored. Not even the announcers scored. Not even the Flyers scored. Hell, not even the Blackhawks knew that Patrick Kane scored the goal to win the Stanley Cup. But that's what he did. Patrick Kane, his career is just full of highlights. And he's not slowing down. You've seen some of his insane highlights this year at 32 years old. And he's second in the Hart Trophy race. And I know it's... It might sound biased for people that listen to the show and go, oh, Logan, you're so biased when you say Patrick Kane is the greatest American hockey player of all time. And that may be so. That may that may well truly be so. I may 
be extremely biased when it comes to my favorite hockey player of all time. That comes with the territory. Okay, and it, to some people, it just completely erases all, I don't know what you want to call it, all reasoning to some people. It's like, oh, well, you're not really actually looking at this through a lens of non-bias. You're extremely biased. Your favorite player of all time. You see this with football players. All my favorite players, Peyton Manning, so Peyton Manning is the greatest quarterback of all time. But everybody knows he's not. But people that are Peyton Manning fans and grew up Colts fans and grew up watching Peyton Manning are going to go, Peyton Manning is the greatest quarterback of all time. He's won five MVPs. Greatest quarterback of all time. But Patrick Kane, oh my goodness. Conn Smythe Trophy winner, three-time Stanley Cup winner. Obviously, Hart Trophy for the MVP of the NHL. And the first American in NHL history. And like baseball, the NHL has an extremely long and illustrious history. Patrick Kane is the first American hockey player to win the Art Trophy. The first American-born player to win the Art Art Ross Trophy. Which, for those of you who don't know, it's a combination of goals scored and assists. It's total points because, for those of you who don't know hockey, you get a point for an assist as well. And Patrick Kane that season, 46 goals, 60 assists. Mostly doing his work from the second line as he did for most of the time the Blackhawks were dominating with Marion Hosa usually running the show on the first line with Jonathan Taves and rotationally like Brandon Saad was the one that saw the most success in that first line with Jonathan Taves on the left wing and then obviously Artemi Panarin was there oh Anisimov or Misinov or Anisimov there in the middle as well with Patty Kane oh man Good times. Nicholas Jarmelson was one of my favorite players growing up as well. I have a jersey of Nicholas Jarmelson. Johnny Aduya was dominant. Him and Jarmelson, the Swedish line. Seabrook, obviously. Duncan Keith. Seabrook's shot against the Red Wings in Game 7. Oh, man. I was at my Nana and Papa's house for that one, too. Which, you see a common theme here because my Nana and Papa had DirecTV. We did not. So when they played on NBC Sports Network... We had to go over to Nana Papa's house. But go watch that highlight as well. But man, such great memories watching the Blackhawks. Corey Crawford, as we said before. Scott Darling, who was basically, I don't know what you want to call it. He was like the Ryan Fitzpatrick of the Chicago Blackhawks when they won the Stanley Cup a few years ago. Corey Crawford was sucking in the first round of the playoffs against the Nashville Predators. And then here comes Scott Darling. And then Scott Darling starts performing about normal Scott Darling level. And then Corey Crawford comes in and the Hawks win the Stanley Cup. Like There's so many good memories watching the Blackhawks and Patrick Kane. And it's I know it's a buy, it's a obvious pick for a team, for a favorite player of all time. And usually you'll go like, oh, my favorite player of all time is Nicholas Jarmelson, who is my one of my top five favorite Blackhawks of all time. Nicholas Jarmelson. He would be he would at times be in the first line with Duncan Keith. There was some couple years where Brent Seabrook was kind of up and down the lines, kind of rotating between the lines. But man, such such great teams the Chicago Blackhawks had for that we could go 10 year, uh, probably 8 year span. 5 years especially, winning 3 cups in 5 years is very very impressive stuff and it's always fun to have your team be the most hated team in your in one of your favorite sports 
because you're just, oh, I, I welcome it. And then you get called, the only downside to this is, you get called a fair weather fan, and that you do, being from Iowa, you get people that jump on the bandwagon rather quick. You add that with the Chicago Cubs, I saw people rocking Chicago Cubs stuff that I didn't even know cared about baseball, let alone had the Chicago Cubs as their favorite team. But you're from Iowa, so you can kind of get away with it. That's the beauty and the curse of being from Iowa. Because you could be a fan of multiple teams that are surround the state. You don't really have a collective team that the state of Iowa represents. Like, for the NFL, you got the Bears in the north, the Packers, Vikings, or the the Vikings in the north, Bears, Packers, Chiefs. Those are like the big four of teams in Iowa. But you also see some Rams fans, because of the connection to Kurt Warner, some Steelers fans, because of the Iowa Hawkeye connection, not a lot of Colts fans. I'm kind of surprised about that. I know a few Colts fans, but there's not a lot of them. Mostly Bears, Vikings, Packers, Chiefs fans. So when one of those teams gets good, or is good, and throughout a majority of our lifetime, as a 23-year-old, I'm talking to my other 23-year-olds and younger out there, those teams have been pretty good. They've never. The Chiefs have had a couple bad years, but they're usually right around the top of the AFC West, and... By default, they're in the playoffs usually every year. Then now again, they've had some bad years, especially when we were younger. The Trent Green, Matt Castle years, where they got the number one overall pick. Trent Green getting destroyed and almost murdered by Bengals defender. One of the craziest plays I've ever seen on live TV. And then for hockey, you've got the Wild, the Blackhawks, the Blues. Now the Wild, the easy connection because the Iowa Wild. And then you've got... MLB, the Iowa Cubs being here. There's also Cardinals, Twins fans around here as well. So you got that quite a bit. People rocking around with jerseys on. I remember at William Penn when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, I decked out in all my Cubs stuff. I had Cubs socks on it, I had Cubs shorts on it, a shirt on it, with my jersey over it with a hat on. I even wore those socks to practice. And I got a look from one of my teammates saying, you're not a Cubs fan. I was like, yeah, I bought this all today. I bought it all today and rocked it for this exact moment. (laughs) That's the downside of being a fan of a good team. When you've been a fan of them your entire life, and then they get good, and then you get accused of being a Fairweather fan, especially when you're not from said area or state. I have a friend, Noah, who's an Orlando Magic fan, and we have made fun of him for years that when the Magic, or not when, if, if, the Magic ever win an NBA Finals, we're calling him the most Fairweather fan of all time. Got to. Because who's going to believe him? Or who's going to believe that? People are going to believe him or five or six of his friends. I think they're going to go with the majority there. But man, Patrick Kane, he's a, he's a lot of people's favorite player to hate as well. I went for Halloween a couple years ago as Patrick Kane. I guess, no, that was last year. It was last year I went as Patrick Kane. I made a Stanley Cup Made Lord Stanley out of, I think, two or three toilet paper rolls. Or, uh, not toilet paper. Paper towel rolls. And then stuck a bowl on top and covered it with tin foil. And then I go to this party, carrying around Lord Stanley. And these loser blues fans have a Stanley Cup that's actually, you know, looks like the Stanley Cup. And you can tell it's got more layers to it than just two or three paper towel rolls in a bowl taped on top of it. I got shown up by freaking Blues fans. That was miserable. I had to take that stupid thing back home because I was so embarrassed to have it. And one of my friends from William Penn, Brett, is a lifelong St. Louis Blues fan. And that was right after, of course, when the Blues won the Stanley Cup. 
So I had to witness that everywhere. Got Snapchats every single freaking day after that about the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. It was miserable. Miserable. And I had to deal with that William Penn with the Blackhawks getting swept by the freaking Predators in the first round. Getting beat in seven games the year prior to that to the St. Louis Blues with Troy Brower basically just giving the double bird to the Blackhawks and sending them on their way out of the playoffs. The double post in that game as well. Man. A lot of hurt <laughs> hurt in there as well, along with the good. But then that hurt kind of helps you remember a little bit better about how awesome the good times were. It kind of makes the hurt worse a little more <laughs> because you're looking around going, man, I wish we were back when the Blackhawks were playing the Lightning and Ben Bishop decided to go pretty much all the way to the blue line to try and stop, I think it was Marion Hosa who just slotted it home. I remember Christopher Stieg slamming his face against the post in that game. In one of those games. I can't remember which one it was. Destroyed his face against the post. Good thing it's not the old days. Those posts come out decently easily now. It's not like they're just nailed into the ground like they used to be. Or the metal stakes driving through the ice to keep those things in place. No, they're kind of like rub. I don't know if it's rubber, but they keep they stay in place a little bit better than what they used to. Oh, man. I loved those times. I loved those times. I, I messaged my friend Johnny a few weeks ago about the Blackhawks being around the top of the <laughs> of the Central Division, which confused the hell out of me when I saw this because when you think your team's going to be so bad, and I've, I've been notorious for being a pessimistic fan my entire life, and it's been well documented here on the Logan Blackman Show about how I think my teams, usually I'm going to think they're going to do worse because if they do better, then awesome. That's perfect. That's what the Blackhawks are doing. 31 points right now. They're middle of the table, essentially, in the Central Division. The Carolina Hurricanes, Tampa Bay Lightning are at the top of the division, which I, if I remember correctly, I had the Hurricanes up there as well. I had the Preds and Stars up there, but they're kind of, you know, shafting themselves right now. But the, the Stars have only played 20 games. The Red Wings suck. We all knew that going into the season, but man. If you would have told me that the Blackhawks would be fourth in the Central Division in March and Patrick Kane would be going up to be challenging for the Hart Trophy, I would have, I could have believed you on the Hart Trophy because if they were doing decently, he was going to be in that conversation for the Hart Trophy. He was always going to be in the conversation for the Hart Trophy if the Blackhawks were even semi-competing <laughs> for any trophy. They're not even a trophy. Just competing in the playoffs. That Patrick Kane deserves all the credit in the world. But Connor McDavid, he currently leads the league in points right now with 45. Patty Kane second with 38. Yeah. And Austin Matthews unsurprisingly leading the league in scoring with 20 goals to his name this season. McDavid second in the league in scoring. Leon Drasidel with 17 assists is second. Joel Edmondson, remember him from the St. Louis Blues, is Oh, that's plus. I'm looking at the wrong thing. That's plus minus. I was thinking. I was looking at it as assists. Okay, I apologize for that. And I was. I was gonna be kind of surprised. Joel Edmondson, of all people, was leading the league in assists. But I digress. I would just. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the greatness of Patrick Kane. Everybody's favorite player to hate, and also at the same time, everybody's favorite player to love, because he is. Oh, his dangles are ridiculous. 
the flow in his prime, even the flow, eh, not really now, but the flow in his prime was mwah, illustrious. Patrick Kane had the nicest flow, arguably, in the entire league. Playoff Patty Kane with the playoff flow was beautiful. And now he's 32 years old, starting to show his age a little bit with the hair, but, man, Patrick Kane... When it's all said and done, I don't know when he's going to retire because it doesn't look like he's going to retire anytime soon. He's 32. Looks like he's going to... I don't know. He could go forever, which would be fantastic. I'd be all for that. The only team I would accept him going to is the Chicago, the Buffalo Sabres if he were to, God forbid, lead the Chicago Blackhawks at some point because he's from Buffalo. My dad's a Sabres fan. So it just made a lot of sense that for him to go there. But if you've never watched Patrick Kane play the sport of hockey and watch him dominate teams, carry the Blackhawks at times, I would recommend you just go and watch some YouTube highlights of Patrick Kane and go watch the Showstopper celebration, the, the Heartbreaker celebration, the best celebration of all time. Make a heart and then punch through it while your knees slide and it's fantastic. God love you, Patrick Kane. God love it. I don't know when it's all said and done if he's going to be the greatest Blackhawk player of all time because obviously Stan Makita, Bobby Hull all have great ties to that link. But obviously they're not American. So when I say greatest American, that means United States because I'm not throwing him in there with Gretzky. I know people throw in like Crosby or McDavid or somebody like that. But USA, don't care. Patty Kane, the GOAT for the United States of America. He's Captain America for crying out loud. Or he was. I don't know if he is anymore. <laughs> oh, man. I could talk forever about Patrick Kane. But I know we gotta, we've got to move on. We've got to move on. We're going to go back to the things we talk about the most. And that is the NBA. <laughs> so they obviously had the All-Star weekend. We were doing the show while the All-Star game was taking place. Didn't get to talk about the NBA dunk contest. And good Lord... I'm happy I didn't watch it. <laughs> I I stand firm on my take that I had the other week or last week that the dunk contest just needs to die for a little bit, much like it did in the late 90s to early 2000s. The last dunk contest was Kobe Bryant. The next one was Vince Carter. We need to have something like that because this it's not even fun to watch. Like Even if listening to the announcers, I watched the highlights of it. But you want to call it highlights, I guess. The announcers weren't even going crazy. The best dunk of the night was Cassius Stanley, and they gave him a 44. He jumped off his, his plant leg and swung the ball underneath his plant leg and yammed it in. Six-foot guard. Cassius Stanley had the best dunks of the night. It was not very enjoyable to watch. Even the highlights weren't enjoyable to watch. And Anthony Simons the player from the Portland Trailblazers. He won the dunk contest. And yeah, the score, the judges, I noticed this, were all former dunk contest champions. So if I, my memory serves me, I was like Jason Richardson, Josh Smith, D. Brown, and Dominique Wilkins, I think, was in there. And there was one more, but I can't remember who it was. The judge's scoring is not, I don't like the judge scoring anymore. I'm not saying we go back to the dunk contest, the team dunk contest. Like it was with Harrison Barnes and John Wall. We don't need to do that, but just something. It's dead. 
We gotta kill it. Just put it down. It's been, it's been dead for a while now, ever since Zach Levine stopped doing it. And he looked at the stacked three-point competition roster, and then look at the dunk contest roster, which is supposed to be the best moment of All-Star Weekend. The one moment where, the one thing everybody looks forward to, apart from the game, which I don't think a lot of people even care about the game anymore. The dunk contest is the thing you want to watch. I remember getting so excited to go over to my Nana and Papa's house to watch the NBA dunk contest. And ever since the Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon dunk contest, it's not been great. And this was the final nail in the coffin. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because it doesn't deserve, deserve that long of a segment to talk about the NBA dunk contest. But it's dead. We got to put it down. I'm tired of looking at it. It's not been good for a while now until the likes of Zach Levine joined back. I know Aaron Gordon's not going to come back, but he'd be good to come back as well. Jalen Brown would be decently fun. Zion Williamson obviously would be fun. John Morant would be fun to watch the dunk contest. I don't, I'm, I'm trying to think of other people that would be very, very fun to watch in the dunk contest, but I'm just completely blanking right now. I apologize for that. But, if, man, you want to watch the stars of the NBA do the dunk contest. And no offense to Anthony Simons, Obi Toppin, and Cassius Stanley. I think Cassius Stanley's not even in the NBA right now. And I don't know if Anthony Simons is either. I know Obi Toppin is because he just got drafted by the Knicks with like the eighth overall pick. But man, done. It's done. Get it over with. I'm tired of looking at it. Please just move on <laughs> from the dunk contest. It's done. Please kill it. I'm tired of watching it. So we're going to move on from that and talk about some pro days. We've got some very big pro days coming up. Which is very exciting. It's fun to watch pro days. Again, like I said with the Trevor Lawrence thing, it's really hard. Oh, jeez. Really hard to take stuff away from pro days. Very hard. Like with linemen, I know it's cool to see fast 40-yard dash times for people that weigh over 300 pounds, but it's... We can't... Why do people take away... Offensive line, 40-yard dash times. I don't get that. Oh, he was moving. Like Rashawn Slater today, who is my 1B offensive tackle prospect in this draft. Right behind, or equal, or right behind Penny Sewell. Rashawn Slater ran a 4-8-8-40 today. Him and Greg Newsom, Northwestern players, both had their pro days today because it was Northwestern's pro day. But I don't know what we could take away from... Rashawn Slater's 488 combine dressing time. Because I mean it's cool. It's cool to see offensive linemen run that fast. Six foot four, 340 pounds, 304 pounds, 48840 time, 784, 748 in the three cone drill. He got he's got his arm length was 33 inches. Below average. But who cares about that anymore? Joe Staley. Didn't have very long arms, and he had a very successful career with the San Francisco 49ers. Jonah Williams doesn't have insanely long arms. He's starting left tackle in the league. Joe Thomas didn't have very long arms. So I don't get why. I know why it's talked about a lot, because you want a separation from yourself and the defender, but it people have done it with short arms. It's not like something that is complete hindrance to these guys' gameplay. 
that, oh man, he has tiny arms, he can't block anybody. I don't care. But yeah, him and Greg Newsom, Greg Newsom ran a 4-3-8-40, which is a very, very fast 40, 6 foot, 192 pounds. He is one that is one of the players that we've talked about that is going to be sneaking back into the first round. Or back, not back into, but sneaking into the first round. He's the one that's probably, from what it looks like, going to be that next cornerback taken after the Farley, Sertan, J.C. Horn group goes. He's got the size. He's very quick, at least in straight line speed. And he had a 40-inch vertical, which is very good. So we might have, I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but I think there's never been a Northwestern player drafted in the first round. I think I've read that somewhere. There's a very good chance. Well, we already know that we're guaranteed one, but there's a very good chance that two Northwestern players get drafted in the first round. Two. And Greg Newsom, the corner, and Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle or interior lineman, whatever. And Rashawn Slater had this quote today. Now I'm paraphrasing because I'm not looking at it right now. But he said he's the best offensive tackle in the draft. And I think he's got a good claim today. He's played against very good edge rushers of the Big Ten. You saw what he did against Chase Young two years ago. That's what you look for in a, a franchise left tackle. But he also got asked the question on pl playing interior off the line, either at guard or center. And he said, if that's what they need me to do, essentially it was like, if that's what they want me to do, I'll do it. Let the chips fall where they may, essentially. But him and Zach Martin, who I've compared Slater and Zach Martin before, with Zach Martin's size, Rashawn Slater's size, the fact that Zach Martin was Notre Dame's starting left tackle, and then got drafted by the Cowboys and became an all-pro guard. This was kind of crazy. I saw this on Twitter today, and I was like, wow, this pretty much nails on what I said for <laughs> his comparison to Zach Martin. 6'4", for Martin, 6'4", for Slater. Zach Martin weighs 308, Slater weighs 304. Arm length, both 33 inches. Three-cone drill, 7'6'5", for Zach Martin, 7'4'8", for, for Slater. Bench, 29 for Zach Martin, 33 for Sean Slater, and then 40 time, 5'2'2", for Martin, 4'8'8", for Slater, whatever. So if he can move into guard, which... No one really seems to have any questions about him possibly moving inside the offensive guard. He should be able to do it just fine. The comparison to Zach Martin is a lofty one, but I think it's a fair comparison. You see what they did in college. They were both starting left tackles for their programs and then get drafted in the NFL because, so this might be a shocker, Rashawn Slater's going to get drafted in the NFL. And might have to slide over to guard. And I think he will be able to do just fine in that. Which is why I exactly why I had the Atlanta Falcons taking Rashawn Slater in mock draft 1.0. Because of the comparisons to Zach Martin and Terry Fontenot, the new GM of the Falcons, formerly with the Saints, and his history of being a part of scouting organizations that have drafted offensive linemen. Four of the five Saints offensive line starters right now were drafted and this is their first pick. Their first pick in the draft, when Terry Fontenot was with the Saints, were offensive linemen. Four times. Four of their starting five were first round or first pick in the draft. Eric McCoy was a second round draft pick, but the first pick of the draft for the Saints that year. Because they traded it up to, I think that was the year, but year after they took Marcus Davenport from UTSA, the edge rusher. 
they traded up to like 15 or something to take Marcus Davenport, which that one's been a mixed bag in regards to <laughs> how good he's actually been comparatively to where he was drafted, which is a top 15 pick. But I think if Slater is asked to go inside, he will do it easily. He should slot in and become his potential. His ceiling is that of Zach Martin. His floor is probably something like DJ Fluker, a former tackle at Alabama, moved in the guard in the NFL. Now, he did play tackle for the Ravens last year when Ronnie Stanley was out injured and they slotted uh, Orlando Brown over to left tackle. Or Sean Slater could play guard, tackle, center, whatever. I am very confident in saying Rashawn Slater will be a beast in the NFL. And the reason you that you can look at a guy like him and compare him to Penny Sewell is because Penny Sewell is a little more raw than Rashawn Slater. Where we what we know where Rashawn Slater is, we kind of know what Penny Sewell is going to be, which means his ceiling is probably higher because, like we've talked about before, with players that are considered projects, that gives them a boost in the draft process because teams can mold them into better players, can mold them into what they want to be. You see with the Bills and Josh Allen, the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, players like that. Trey Lance is going to be one of those this year, wherever he goes. I hope it's to Atlanta. And we'll talk about the quarterback situation in the draft and the offseason in a tiny bit. Farley's another one of those players as well. He's only really played cornerback for two years, and now he's a pretty much a guaranteed top 10 pick at this point. I guess that's up for debate, but I think he's going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft this year. Regardless if that's 9 or 10, he's not fall- I cannot see Farley falling past 10. I cannot see Farley falling very far Lee, in the draft. <laughs> pun not intended. <laughs> I hate when people say that after they said the pun because that means, or pun intended, you got to say it before. Man. But we've got some more pro days coming up. I'm very excited to just at least watch Trey Lance and Dylan Radinez. They're, I, I need to practice his name because I, I keep struggling with it. The right tackle for North Coast State. That's one of the prospects I need to practice on. But they're... They're... Ah, oh crap. Well, okay. Their pro day, North Coast State's pro day, is on Friday. So make sure you tune into that. I'm not sure exactly what date what time that is exactly, but Friday's going to be fun. Friday's going to be fun. You're going to watch Trey Lance. I don't know what you're going to take away from it. He said he's not running the 40, which is fair because like we've talked about, and here was his reasoning behind it, is that he wants his game tape to show how fast he is. And I I love that from Trey Lance. I love that because 40-yard dash time and game speed are two totally different things. People are faster on the football field versus a 40-yard dash time. Because as we talked about, 40-yard dash is all about technique. If you don't get a good start in the 40-yard dash, you don't have the right technique, you're not going to run a fast 40. Plain and simple. You can be the fastest player on the football field, but if you don't have the right technique, you're not going to run a fast 40. I'm sorry. When we were at, when I was at William Penn, the coaches were like, okay, make sure you do this, 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 this. Okay, now you can go. And if you, didn't, if you did one of those things wrong, you had to go back and do it again. 40-yard dash times, we've taught, again, they're cool because it's like, oh, man. That's like the old, the old school 
kid in us, the old kid in everybody. Like if you're and girls can do this too, but I remember going to the re, going to recess and all my friends going, "I bet I'm faster than you." And we have recess races. We'd have races at recess. Now it was a way for us to kind of show off to the girls and even show off to your friends a little bit as well that I'm faster. It's kind of like I'm the alpha dog in the group. That was what you always wanted. And when you got a, when you beat a friend that normally beat you, that was like the best moment of it made your week essentially. Until you raced again and you noticed, oh wait, that was just a one-time thing. <laughs> but that's what the forty-yard dash is like. You look at it and go, oh man, that dude ran a four-three-forty. That is ridiculous. Which it is ridiculous. That dude's freaking moving. Like, oh, I want to go in and beat. Now it's John Ross's 40-yard dash time of 4-2-2. Then it was Chris Johnson's. But man. And that will get you drafted very high. Combine and pro day stuff will get you drafted very high. I'm not saying that I... We've talked about this before. I don't take a lot out of it. But NFL teams take a lot out of pro days. And take a lot out of county combines. But what really you should take away from is the interviews. Not really what they're doing on the field. It's the interviews that you find out if they're a good player or not. Which is, again, another reason why Josh Allen got drafted at 7th overall by the Buffalo Bills. They liked his interviews. If you interview well, you'll get the job. That's how it works in the real world, too. Oh, man, but yeah, North Dakota State's Pro Day is coming up. I'm very excited. Northwestern's was today, as we've said. Rashawn Slater, great Newsome. Yeah, very exciting stuff. Gotta love Pro Days. And obviously, Clemson's Pro Day, because yes, we had Trevor Lawrence throwing. I don't know if he's actually going to take part in Clemson's Throw Day, but even if you want to watch Clemson's Throw Day, it's going to be on Thursday. You got Travis Etienne, Amari Rogers will be very fun to watch. Cornell Powell is a very fun wide receiver, as well as Amari Rogers. So you'll have those players to watch. It's going to... Pro days are fun. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're not fun. Because they are. They are fun. But... That's it. They're, they're just fun. And when these edge rushers... Like, I just saw a picture of Aziz Ojolari. That could boost him up, too. Aziz Ojolari, Quiddy Pay. Those players who are known for their athleticism coming off the edge, that could boost their draft stock, too. Because their draft stock's already pretty high, especially Quiddy Pay, who's either the number one or number two edge rusher in this draft, depending on who you ask. His athleticism, he can get a good 40-yard dash time, a good three-cone drill, that could boost his draft stock even more than what it already is. Because the sad thing about Quiddy Pay, or the nerve-wracking thing for Quiddy Pay, I guess, is the lack of production. The fact that they didn't... Well, to, to be fair to him, Michigan didn't play a lot of games, and he didn't play a lot of games this year. So his production was naturally going to go down. It just made sense. He's not playing a lot of games. He's obviously not going to get 15 and a half sacks like Greg Rousseau did the season before. Obviously. Aziz Ojolari has the most sacks out of the top tier edge rushers in this draft, 8.5. Jalen Phillips, I think, had eight last season, but he has injury problems as well. So, edge rushers could go, once one goes, I think I could set off a chain, uh, what is that called? I can't remember what that's called. A chain reaction. There we go. Start a chain reaction of edge rushers going. Because you see a lot of mock drafts and even mock draft 4.0. Or 3.0, I guess. You had Rousseau, Phillips, and then old Ojolari going 21, 22, 23 to the Colts, Titans, Jets. 
and Quiddy Pago in 17. And then there might be another edge rusher in there like Joe Tryon or Carlos Basham or Ronnie Perkins or Joseph Asai or Jason Oway. Like, there's good edge rushers in this draft. So teams might not go. Some teams, though I think it could start a chain reaction, there's also a, a scenario where they might just wait to draft one in the second round. Because you can get a lot of them in the second round. If you want to do value, get quote-unquote value for your picks, you might just want to wait for the second round to get them. I, I think there's a 0% chance like Rousseau and Quiddy Pay fall out of the first round. But Phillips, Ojolari, Tryon, Perkins, Basham, Owe, Osai, those guys could all fall to the second round. But basically, all of them could go in the first round as well. I think the most likely to go in the first round are the two I've mentioned already. The two top two I mentioned, Pay and Rousseau. And then Phillips, I think, is the next most likely. Ojolari, Tryon, Basham, Perkins, even though I had Perkins going to Tampa Bay in mock draft, what, 2.0? I've seen Basham's name more now than Ronnie Perkins' name. So that'll be interesting to see where all that goes. Defense tackles, I don't know when you're going to draft those guys as well. It's not a very deep class, but you got some good players in there, like the two I had in my last mock draft. And then Davion Nixon's in there as well, the unanimous All-American from Iowa. Be a nice day two pick. I would project that he's going to be a nice day two pick. The one of the positions. Tight ends, other than Kyle Pitts, I don't see any of them going in the first round. Pat Fryermouth is probably, not probably, he's the next best one. He'll probably be a mid to early to mid second round pick. If I had to guess, the running backs, with the history of running backs getting drafted in the first round, people are going to probably start going later in the draft to get those. But Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and even Javante Williams and Michael Carter those are four very good running backs. And Maurice Jones-Drew, former running back, so I'm not very surprised that he had this. Had the first three I mentioned going in the first round. Javante Williams going to Buffalo. Etienne going to the Jets. And Harris, I think, going to the Dolphins. Makes sense. All of those make sense. I don't think Williams... I think Williams is the least likely to go in the first round. Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, those two... It's going to vary between those two. Because teams, as I said, are starting to get... Let, falling less and less in love with teams or running backs in the first round. Because you look at the few that have been drafted, like we, we mentioned on the last show, Cadillac Williams, Ronnie Brown, Cedric Benson, uh, Kajana Carter, Ricky Williams. I mean, he had a decent career, but not to the level of trading your entire draft away to get him. And what are some like Melvin Gordon, he's kind of faded out. Todd Gurley's been insanely injury-prone ever since he got drafted 10th overall by the Rams. Zeke's kind of faded out a little bit, but he was awesome when he was on. Fournette's been hit and miss in his time in the NFL. I don't know. The best running backs in the NFL, Dalvin Cook, second-rounder. Alvin Kamara, third-rounder. Now Christian McCaffrey, first-rounder, obviously. Nick Chubb, second-rounder. Like, you look at the top running backs in the NFL, people are going to go, well, we could probably get these guys later. Chris Carson, Aaron Jones, another one. All late-round picks. And I, I could probably, Ricky Mostert, another one. Uh, Daryl Henderson for the Rams, late-round pick. Austin Eckler, the starter for the Chargers, late-round pick. Or not even drafted. Austin Eckler wasn't even drafted, now I'm thinking about it. Le'Veon Bell in his prime was a second-round pick. 
obviously not, no one really cares. Now Jonathan Taylor, second-round pick. Like, the best running back, John, James Robinson, 1,000-yard rush for the Jaguars, undrafted. Ronald Jones, second-round pick. Now, he's taken a while to get going in the NFL, but he was a baller in college, so he's starting to find his feet again. There's find his feet in the NFL. Shady McCoy, second-round pick. Like, there, you're going to find running backs. Derrick Henry, I, I completely forgot about Derrick Henry, second-round pick. Like, look at all those running backs, second-round and third-round and late-round picks. And look at the first-round picks. Now, obviously, like Adrian Peterson, LaDainian Tomlinson, Marshall Falk, like those guys. Yeah, sure. Okay, you got very Hall of Fame running backs right there. Some of the greatest running backs of all time right there. But unless you're getting those guys, you don't draft a running back in the first round. You don't. I'm not saying you'd never do. I've had two running backs go in the last two mock drafts. Or mock draft 1.0, mock draft 2.0. But look at the recent track record. Look at the running backs that are doing really good right now, and you're probably better served to get one in the second round. And I love my favorite player of all time is a running back. So I don't want to sound like I'm being mean to running backs out there, but the importance of having a first-round draft pick running back is starting to diminish a little bit. Jonathan Taylor had back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons at Wisconsin, got drafted in the second round. Third running back taken in the draft, if I remember right. I don't know. I can't remember if DeAndre Swift was taken before him or not. I know Clyde Edwards-Alaire was. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. But, man, interesting. Interesting. There's a weird, really weird dynamic of wide receivers in the first round as well. About how there's a lot of really, really bad ones in the first round. I know there's big, really good ones in the first round, but there's also a lot of bad ones. Like, obviously, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, Jerry Rice was a first-round draft pick. But every single Mike Williams that's ever been drafted in the first round, John Ross, Corey Davis to a certain extent, fifth fifth overall pick. Yeah, these those two positions are very weird in regards to the draft. And then looking at quarterbacks getting drafted second overall in recent memory, Trubisky, Wentz, Marcus Mariota, Chris Leaf. Why did I say Chris Leaf? Ryan Leaf. So when you see a quarterback get drafted second overall, there's going to be some people that sit there and go a little bit, ooh, he might be another one of these guys. But hey, he could be a beast as well. And this year's second overall pick, Zach Wilson, looks like he's going to be a very good quarterback in the NFL. He's got all the tools to be an absolute beast. In the NFL, there was a clip circling around Twitter the other day, and I recommend you go look it up. Just go search Zach Wilson on Twitter. It should pop up. It's just an effortless throw that he has, rolling out to his left and just twisting his shoulders and just giving a really quick twitch throw, landing perfectly in the receiver's arm in the corner of the end zone. Now, it's in practice and on air, so it's not, and no pads on. So it's just something you do for fun. But he does that in games, too. Zach Wilson's a very, very, very good quarterback. And I know though I don't agree 100% with Chris Sims about him being the number one quarterback in this draft class, I see where he's coming from. I definitely see where he's coming from. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I think Trevor Lawrence is the perfect prospect because obviously there's times where you can go, that's kind of concerning. But I'm not saying he's not the best quarterback in the draft. I'm not saying he's not the best overall player in the draft. 
But there are things to look at that you could go, well, that's kind of interesting. Playing in the ACC where Clemson has been a thousand times better than every single team they played. Getting outplayed by Justin Fields and Joe Burrow in the two biggest games of their season. Cause for concern at times. I'm not saying to overthink it and not draft Trevor Lawrence number one overall. Because that's why you took the Jacksonville Jaguars job, Urban Meyer. Is to take Trevor Lawrence number one overall. But with quarterbacks, it's going to be an absolutely insane offseason. It's going to be a ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous offseason. I think we all knew this going into the season, but it's getting more and more obvious now. And when the league season starts, when is it? Like March 17th, I think, is when the league, new league season starts, when the league calendar kicks off. That day or the day after, we are going to have a, hell, a hellfire of moves around the NFL. And I, for one... I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm ready for it. Because for once in my entire freaking life, the Bills are not linked with big moves. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing, but to me, I'm going to view it as a good thing. And now even when they were bad, they weren't really linked with big moves because they were so bad no one wanted to go to them and they didn't have any money to pay anybody. But they're at the point now where they're set. Now, obviously, they have holes. We've talked about that in the mock drafts that I made. We're talking about the holes this team has. But they're not the teams that are dying to get a quarterback this offseason. There's like five teams that are not linked with moves to quarterbacks this offseason. And that's, that's being generous, too. There might be less than that. The Bills, the Packers, the Buccaneers, the Chiefs. Is that it? The Ravens, even to a certain extent. Like, they're the Chargers, maybe? They haven't been linked with the move. They couldn't have. The Bengals. So there's like seven teams, maybe eight teams, that have not had any news regarding their starting quarterback. Like even the best ones in the NFL, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, who just got a massive extension. Most money guaranteed on a contract in NFL history. I think it was like, what, $126 million? It could be a little off there. I'm not looking at it right now. But... This is the time you paid Dak was when he was had a broken leg, broken ankle, I guess. We don't even know if he's going to play this year. There's a chance he won't. I think he will, but it's a lot of money for Dak Prescott. I think Dak Prescott is a good quarterback, but goodness gracious, that is a massive guarantee there. Most in NFL history for Dak Prescott, who has had has had a good NFL career, but not $126 million worth of a good career. It was a four-year deal. I can't remember the exact numbers of it. I probably should have had that pulled up on me right now. <laughs> so with Dak getting that massive extension, what are quarterbacks that are better than Dak going to get either this offseason or the next one? Josh Allen's going to get... A massive contract. Bill's Twitter was blowing up after Dak Prescott signed the contract in Dallas. It's like, if he's getting that, what is Josh Allen getting out of this situation? Who has won playoff games? I know Dak's won one playoff game. And has a broken leg. Like This is the offseason we decided to pay Dak Prescott all this money. This one. Now I think they kind of had a guilt trip factor going into this one where it's like, wow, 
he broke his leg. <laughs> we kind of feel bad. Let's nail it into the ground that this is our guy and give him all this money. So for those of you who are linking the Cowboys with trading away Dak Prescott, to me, yeah, it could happen. But I am fairly, I'm like 90% sure that ain't happening anymore. And I got 126 million reasons why. <laughs> why that's not happening. It could be like 124 or something. I, I shouldn't just keep nailing down 126 million because I don't even know if that's 100% right. But with Dak getting his future set up, or at least for now, I guess, for the last four years, Dak's not leaving Dallas. But there's other quarterbacks that are going to be on the move this offseason, and I am here, again, I'm here for it. So without further ado, I'm going to try and give out a list of eight quarterbacks, the bigger name quarterbacks, I believe, that have been linked with moves away. Now, just before we get, I'll go over the names here. So we got Sam Darnold, Jimmy Garoppolo, Marcus Mariota, Cam Newton, Alex Smith, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, and Jameis Winston, all starting caliber level quarterbacks. All of them are. Regardless of what you think of Cam Newton and his time in New England or Alex Smith with his broken leg, they're starting caliber quarterbacks. Even Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota people are viewing as the next Ryan Tannehill where you sit for a year and then come in and ball out. Because Marcus Mariota's got it in him. We saw what he did at Oregon. He's one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. We've talked about Marcus Mariota's legacy and talking about his influence in the state of Iowa let alone Oregon and the rest of the college football sphere. I think he's got stuff in him, and I hope he finds it wherever he goes next, and we'll try to say where he goes. But we did this in alphabetical order, obviously, D, G, M, N, F, W, W, W. And I love that the last ones, <laughs> Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson are last, because those are the two biggest names moving this possibly moving this offseason. So first one, Sam Darnold. I'm going to say he goes to the San Francisco 49ers, okay? This eliminates everything I just said in Mock Draft 3.0, but I've had a change of heart. Now I'm going to start to, I'm going to implement trades in my next Mock Draft, okay? Because if I wanted to do it with trades, what I was going to do was, and I think I talked about this on Monday, was Trey Lance at four, Justin Fields seven to the 49ers, and then Carolina taking Mac Jones. That's what I wanted to have happen. But then I was like, oh, I don't want to do trade. So I chickened out and I couldn't put Justin Fields behind Mac Jones. So I went Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance. That sat better with me, even though I think in my heart of hearts that Trey Lance will be the Atlanta Falcons quarterback. At this point, at March 9th, 2021, I think Trey Lance will get drafted by the Falcons. I think that because I think the fit is there. He's the most raw quarterback in this draft. Matt Ryan doesn't look like he's slowing down. So give him time to learn the new offense. Get Trey Lance. That's what I would do if I'm the Falcons. He's an awesome quarterback. His potential's through the roof. We've talked at nauseum about how much I love Trey Lance and how high I think his draft ceiling is. Or draft, his, yeah, his ceiling is. Not his draft ceiling, but his ceiling in general. He's got all the tools to be an absolute beast in the NFL. He just needs time. And the Falcons have a system that he could thrive in. So that's what I would do. But Sam Darnold in San Francisco, back to the main point. I think this works out and we could do a three-team trade here between the Jets, Patriots, and the 49ers. I'm not saying the Jets are going to get any quarterbacks out of that situation, but they're going to be trying to stockpile some picks or at least get some picks in this situation. So that sends Sam Darnold to San Fran. So if he's in San Francisco, 
very little chance Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo is in San Francisco. So Jimmy G goes to New England, which is where he should, should be. Bill Belichick never wanted to get rid of him. Shipped him off to San Francisco for the first offer he got. And it looks like, even though the 49ers keep going, he's our guy, he's our guy, he's our guy. It's like they're trying to convince themselves that he's going to be their guy this offseason. You heard the same thing with Josh Rosen. Oh, he's our guy, he's our guy, he's our guy. But we know, deep down, you don't want him to be your guy anymore. And I think Sam Darnold could be better in this Kyle Shanahan style of offense. He's more mobile, he's a little thicker guy, he has missed far less games than Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think him and Kyle Shanahan would work wonders together, and it'd be kind of funny to see Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen on the same roster. When Sam when they're both top 10 picks and one's a practice squad player and the other one's a starter. <laughs> Which is what a scenario we could be in for this offseason. I think Sam Darnold will be awesome with Kyle Shanahan. I think Jimmy G, back in New England, in a familiar system with Josh McDaniels there, and then they could build the offense a little bit more. They got Trent Brown back. So we'll be interested to see how Trent Brown does back in New England. He signed a massive contract with the Raiders to sign with Oakland when they were in Oakland. And now he's back in New England. So that might change the Raiders draft draft um, system or draft strategy as well. Because at 17, there's a couple there's a couple offensive linemen that could be available in Elijah Very Tucker and Christian Darisaw. Maybe they go after those guys. But time will tell. Mike Mayock's kind of tipped his hand a little bit about what he likes to draft in the NFL <laughs> at his time as the GM at the Raiders. Experienced college players at big-time programs. Look at every single player he's drafted. Look at Cleland Furl from Clemson. A little bit of a reach, or not a little bit, a lot of a reach. Hasn't really worked out, but four-year starter at Clemson. Then it was Josh Jacobs, starter at Alabama. Big-time program. And then Jonathan Abram, safety from Mississippi State, but hard hitter, athletic dude, which is what the Raiders have always gone after. Then you have Henry Ruggs, an experienced player for Alabama. And then Damon Arnett, which surprised everybody, but a a senior at Ohio State. Now we come in here, and we could be looking at another defensive player because they've struggled drafting. (laughs) There's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it other than Josh Jacobs, who you could probably say is a tad overrated they haven't drafted very well Henry Ruggs drafting him as the first wide receiver in the draft could be interesting in the future but hey who knows but where were we even at in this with Trent Brown going back okay yeah Trent Brown going back to the the Patriots so there's their left tackle it doesn't look like they're bringing Joe Thune back which is kind of surprising as he's easily the best off to lineman they have so if you get Jimmy Garoppolo back, now the Patriots have cap space. I know Trent Brown's got a massive contract, but they have cap space. It's not like they've just got nothing to work with. It's not like they're the Saints where they're almost $100 million underneath the cap or over the cap. They've got money to move around. And getting a quarterback they're familiar with that would fit their style of offense a lot more than what Cam Newton did would be ideal for the New England Patriots this offseason. So Sam Darnold and San Fran, Jimmy G., in New England, and for Marcus Mariota, I think he goes to Chicago. I think that's his, it's not what Bears fans want to hear, 
But I think that's probably the most logical place for him to go. Because Ryan Pace, the Bears GM, has loved paying for overpriced backups. He did that with Nick Foles. He did that with Mike Glennon. And now he could do it with Marcus Mariota. So it's like three for three on that. And then 2015, prior to the 2015 NFL Draft, this is an article from SI.com, Bears Digest. Prior to the 2015 NFL Draft, Ryan Pace was discussing discussing the crop of players coming to the fir- his first combine, and especially the quarterbacks. I think you have to watch a lot of tape on these guys to get a good feel with it, Pace said about the quarterbacks. And we've done enough research on him that I think he's a good quarterback. Pace was speaking specifically about Marcus Mariota, the then-Oregon Ducks quarterback. Mariota's accurate passing and running ability seemed obvious to all of the fact he was playing in a spread offense deemed by somebody by snooty NFL types as too gadgety seemed scary, which is now no longer a thing anymore in the NFL. We welcome in spread offenses, and then the, that system doesn't scare me away from it at all. Ryan Pace likes himself some Marcus Mariota. So I think with Mariota, now the Washington football team were linked with the move for him, but I don't know if they're going to be able to get a move for Mariota because they got kind of scared off by the Raiders asking price and his contract and all that stuff kind of made things a little interesting from their standpoint. So Mariota going to Chicago, he fits their style of offense, a little more mobile quarterback, which is what Matt Nagy likes in his offense. Accurate passer. He's a very fast quarterback, even though we've, we've already said he was mobile. He's very fast, very athletic. Got a decently strong arm. I think he'd fit what Matt Nagy wants to do more so than what Nick Foles would do in this offense. As you saw what Nick Foles did with this style of offense last year. Where the Bears looked for about, what, a four to five week range of the worst team in NFL history. Essentially, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Cam Newton going to the Washington football team. Again, much like Jimmy Garoppolo. Going with familiarity here. Ron Rivera's there. He wouldn't be signing to a massive contract, and the the Washington football team could draft a quarterback if they really felt like it. If they felt the need to draft a quarterback, go ahead and do it. Because, and you're going to have to trade up. This isn't a situation where you can just sit at 19. You're trading up to get these quarterbacks. All five of them, I think, will go in or around the top 10. And I'm talking about Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Lance, and Mac Jones. They're all going in or near the top 10. From everything I've gathered, these quarterbacks are going very, very high. Now, they could just all be smoke and mirrors at this point, but those four, or the five, are going in that round, or range, range. So a team like Chicago or Washington could and should trade up for one of these quarterbacks if they so seem. Because like the 49ers, for example, they don't necessarily need a quarterback. The Bears and Washington football team need one. And I'd love the 49ers to draft a quarterback. But I think they like Sam Darnold. And Sam, we'll talk about the Jets in a little bit. I think Sam Darnold's time in New York's done. And I think it's about time it's been done as well. But Cam going back to Ron Rivera, signing on another one-year deal. They signed Taylor Heineke. I predicted this earlier in the offseason that they'd re-sign Heineke and bring in Cam Newton to compete for the quarterback spot because I thought Heineke deserved a shot to compete for a quarterback spot. And if you look at the Bears, remember when they signed Mike Glennon to that big contract? They're probably going to draft another quarterback because that's what the Bears do. That's what Ryan Pace does. You can never have too many quarterbacks 
in Chicago is basically Ryan Pace's mentality. But Cam Newton going back with Ron Rivera, working in that system, they're building a nice little culture there. Get Cam Newton to Ron Rivera, and I think he looks more natural than what he did in Josh McDaniel's system last year. Next one, Alex Smith. Uh, I think he goes to the Denver Broncos because he'd be one of those quarterbacks. I don't think that the Broncos, at least from John Elway's perspective, want to move on from Drew Locke like that. I think there's certain people in the organization that want to move on. Obviously, they've been linked with the Matthew Stafford deal. They're linked with Deshaun Watson. They were linked a tiny bit with Carson Wentz, somewhat with Sam Darnold as well. But I don't know. Part of me thinks that if they don't get Deshaun Watson, they're not going to trade or upgrade, quote-unquote, upgrade on Drew Locke. I think they go out and get a guy like an Alex Smith or an Andy Dalton to kind of push Drew Locke a little bit. And if they beat him out, they beat him out. But not as a long-term option. Then this is where we know for a fact that Drew Locke is not the guy and we can move on from him. Alex Smith did that to Dwayne Haskins. He could do that to another member of the 2020 draft class in Drew Locke. Or 2019 draft class, my bad. Because I think Drew Locke's got some good stuff in there. He's got some tools to be a very good quarterback, but I don't know. He just seems like another one of those really decent college quarterbacks that puts up really good numbers that just can't get it all together in the NFL. And he's had moments, spurts of good play, but it's been very up and down. And when it's down, it's been very down. When it's up, it's been decently up. But I think Alex Smith would be a very good quarterback to get in if you're the Denver Broncos. The next one, Deshaun Watson. I am getting on the train of where I am almost convinced that the New York Jets are trading for Deshaun Watson. I'm getting to that point where I just think everything is lining up to where the Jets trade for Deshaun Watson. If you remember earlier in the offseason, like right as the regular season ended, everything was linking the Jets to a giant move this offseason. At that point, it seemed like it was going to be Julio Jones because the Falcons were talking about, or there were reports that the Falcons were looking to shop Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, which we... The Falcons have shut down those rumors. The next logical point is Deshaun Watson, who has listed the Jets as one of his favorites. And when you've seen all these lists that Deshaun Watson reportedly releases of all these teams he wants to play for, the Jets are the only consistent one in there. You see the 49ers, the Panthers, the Dolphins, the Saints, the Broncos. All these teams get thrown around. The Jets are always in these lists. The only one that stays. Because sometimes you'll see a list of three. Now, from everything I can tell, it's the final list of the Jets, Dolphins, and the Panthers. That's the final three, essentially, from all the 18 teams he's been linked to this offseason. But if they're linked with a big move, Deshaun Watson's that big move. They have the capital in draft picks and cap space to make this deal happen. The Texans are only going to trade Deshaun Watson if they can get a top quarterback in this draft class, which is fair. You want If you're trading away a top five quarterback coming off a career year, you want a chance to replace him with one of the best quarterbacks in the draft class. In this situation, the New York Jets trade Deshaun Watson, currently have the number two pick. The Texans go in there and take Zach Wilson. And then that's where you move on. Because the links are there with, Deshaun, with uh, Justin Fields, but him and Deshaun share the same agent. So I don't really think if Deshaun is pushing for a move out of Houston that who guy who 
the agent of Deshaun Watson would not go, okay, this guy wants out. I'm going to allow my other client to come in and play for Houston. That's not how this works. I would be absolutely floored if that happened. My scenario is the Jets trade for Deshaun, the Houston Texans take Zach Wilson, and then do something defensively with the 23rd pick. They have no future in front of them. And the only way you can salvage some sort of a future, or at least make the future a little bit more bearable, because you screwed that up when you got Bill O'Brien in there, is to trade Deshaun Watson away. As hard as that's going to be, Deshaun's not going to play another down, it seems like, for the Houston Texans, regardless if he's traded or not. What are the? T- I don't get what the Texans are gaining here in this situation about let's piss off the player to the point of no return so then, I don't know, because then you're just screwing yourself, essentially. I think Deshaun Watson, when it's all said and done, and I've been very coy or very... This can make sense. This makes sense. This makes sense. About Deshaun Watson's moves, the Jets are the team that I think he'll go to. And John McClain, who's a very connected Houston reporter, who's on all these NFL Network things, these top 10 lists, so I've known about him for years. A few weeks ago, we talked about this, about he said the only team the Texans would trade Deshaun for, or trade him to, is the New York Jets. Which would hurt me, a lot. I don't want Deshaun Watson to go to the Jets. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't want him anywhere near the New York Jets. I don't want him anywhere near the Buffalo Bills. But my gut, my head, my heart, everything tells me Deshaun Watson's going to the Jets. And I could be totally wrong about this. My gut's been wrong plenty of times. It's why I don't do sports betting. Every bet I've made about my team... I have lost the bet. And so that's where I get kind of nervous. But I think everything points to the New York Jets moving for Deshaun Watson this offseason. Zach Wilson's draft stock is soaring. It's never been higher than it is right now. Where people are going, he's better than Trevor Lawrence. He's the next best player in this draft. Or you cannot pass on Zach Wilson. That's all helping the Jets. You saw Mel Kuyper with the Falcons trading up to get him. If the Jets are not if the Jets don't trade for Deshaun, I'll be shocked. I'll just put it like that. I think Zach Wilson would fit what they want to do with Matt LaFleur as their offensive coordinator. Or Mike LaFleur. Mike LaFleur as their offensive coordinator. Because remember a few weeks ago we talked about this again. He said that the offense that he thinks he would fit best in is the Shanahan style of offense. Where did LaFleur come from? The Shanahan style of offense. So you think naturally that would make a lot of sense. But I think the Jets have massive ambition to get a guy like Deshaun Watson, which hurts to say that, but I think that's what's going to happen. Cap space, draft stock, makes sense. Texans are going to want another quarterback out of this. Deshaun Watson's, Zach Wilson's going to be their guy. I don't know if they want Sam Darnold. I just think Zach Wilson's the guy they're going to want to get in this draft. And we'll see in mock draft 4.0 when that comes out, not this next Monday, but the Monday after that. Next one, Russell Wilson. I think for right now, he just stays in Seattle. I think the best, the scenario that makes the most sense is the Bears, because that's the one he's been linked with the most. I think for this season, he stays in Seattle. 
I don't know for if it's after if this is his last season in Seattle or if he's moving on. If he if he moves on this season, I wouldn't even be shocked. I this is the one where I'm not gonna hold a lot of this is gonna happen type thing. I think if he gets traded, it'll be to the Bears. Okay? I think if Russell Wilson leaves the Seattle Seahawks, it will be for the Bears, which is a great thing for the Chicago Bears. But it just doesn't seem like a very Bears thing to do. And the Bears have prioritized making a run at Russell Wilson, which is fair. And Diana Russini said, I was told the Seahawks are not shopping Russell Wilson, but calls made from other teams inquiring have been answered. So just to me, I just don't think that this offseason, again, I'd like to emphasize this offseason, is the offseason for Russell Wilson to move. And I could be totally wrong about that. I'm not, again, I'm not going to sit here and die on this hill. If he gets moved, fine. I will go awesome, sick. I thought that could happen, but I just thought another, this would be his last season. But I guess not. Last one, Jameis Winston. I think this is the easiest one to say. I think it goes back to New Orleans. I think Sean Payton wants him back. Drew Brees said that this is his show now, pretty much. I think he just goes back to New Orleans. I think a year sitting behind Brees, learning from Sean Payton, worked wonders for him. I think he'd do very, very well in Sean Payton's style of offense. So, for a quick recap of this, just to go over this again, of the eight quarterbacks we have on here, I have Sam Darnold going to San Fran, Jimmy Garoppolo going to New England, Marcus Mariota going to Chicago, Cam Newton going to Washington, Alex Smith to Denver, Deshaun Watson to the Jets, Russell Wilson to the Seahawks, and Jameis Winston to the New Orleans Saints. And one thing with this, I've started making graphics now. Yeah, I downloaded Photoshop a few weeks ago, and I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at it. So I'm making draft graphics. I made my mock draft 4.0 graphics, so I've already got my top five picked out. You're just going to have to wait for it. And I hope you all, speaking of drafts, I hope you watched Mock Draft Minute last night or today, or whatever, because that was a really stupid video, and I just really hope you like it. I, this was the, the entire thing lasted for as long as you watched it. That's how much time, I put six minutes of effort into that video. Six minutes, actually, no, probably about six and a half, because there are some things cut out. I didn't do multiple takes, I didn't think about this, the entire day, as you saw, where I didn't have multiple bags of ice with me when I did the ice bath thing, which I got a text message from my friend Daniel. And Daniel thought I was faking it a little bit for how cold it was. I will sit here and say this. That thing, I went into this super confident. I was like, oh, I took ice baths at William Penn. I'm not really concerned about an ice bath. Well, which is why I laughed about it when we when Steven said, do an ice bath. Because I was like, uh, ice bath? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny for YouTube videos. And then people do, the, obviously, the overreaction of the ice bath. Like, oh my gosh, it's so cold. And I laughed at those when I was, when I, like, you see those on YouTube and go, okay, stop overreacting a little bit. We get it, it's cold. Stop over, it's not that cold. And I had the water, I had it all the way turned on cold. I dumped in, just to make it, just to so I could add something into it. I threw in the cup of ice. Just to make it look like I was making it colder. I was like, ah, oh, this is cold enough. And then I put my foot in the tub and I, my confidence level went from, oh, I'm going to handle this easily to all the way down to the floor. I stepped in there. I was like, oh my God, this is a lot colder than what I was expecting. It hurt. 
my feet and legs hurt after sitting in that. And Steven, I te Steven doesn't have social media anymore, so I sent him the video. He told me to send it to him. Because I, again, I didn't t call him or text him before that. You saw a live phone call of me and Steven. <laughs> I didn't tell him about it. So I was happy he answered because I didn't know who I was going to call next. So <laughs> he gave me ice bath. I'm glad he came up with something that fast because I, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. It's like, what are you talking about? Challenge. So, yeah, if, he, if I planned that better, I would have known ahead of time that, yeah, I should probably go out and get ice bags. Because I recorded that show that video right after I got back from work. And then I did the ice bath right after dinner. And I never went to Fairway or Hy-Vee or Walgreens or anything or get and go to get ice for this. And Daniel called me a wimp for it because I didn't have as much ice. Steven said he would have gotten like two or three bags of ice for me. Which I was like, yeah, I'm kind of glad I didn't do it with someone else because it was cold. I, it was so much. I cannot stress that it was so much colder than what I thought it would be. And I'm for one. I, when, I've never been one to really over-exaggerate something. At least I don't think I do. When I was breathing heavily and sounding like that, no, I could barely, I was, my heart was beating so fast and I almost, I contemplated, you can see a couple times in the video of me contemplating going under the water, but on one hand, I was like, I don't want to get all wet. I'm going to bed in a little bit, like an hour or two. I just, I don't want to get all wet. I don't, my, one of my pet peeves, if those of you don't know, I don't like getting wet. I I obviously shower every single day, but I do not like getting wet because I don't like drying off. It's one of the most annoying things for me, and it it pains me at times. Like if I'll go to the swimming pool or something, that's fine, but I don't really go out of my way to go. Yeah, let's get wet. So when he said ice bath, another part of me was like, crap, I gotta go in a bath. So I was that was one thing, and the other thing was. I was a wimp when it came to that. I was sitting there and going, I don't know if I want to do this. I can't go under the water. This is so cold. And I didn't. I sat there for the 30 seconds that I said I was going to sit there. Maybe a little longer. I don't know how long exactly I sat in there. I was, I did, I lost all concept of time when I was doing that. And yeah, I think the video went well. It's like six minutes long. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it because it was, it's a stupid video. It doesn't take a lot of time to watch. You can fast forward to the end if you really want to. And I'm starting, I made the thumbnail myself because I want to start making some thumbnails for these videos. Because the thumbnails I've had recently are just pictures of things. And I, which is, I want to put more, but which I'm glad, which is why I'm happy I got my new computer because I can download Photoshop, which is something I couldn't do on my old computer. So, yeah. I just wanted to briefly talk about the video because I, it was a fun video to do. It took me, the amount of time you watched that video, about 30 more seconds went into that video than what you actually saw. There was zero planning. There was zero, really, effort into the video. And yeah, you see that with most of my, all my videos that I have on my YouTube channel are one take and then not really edited that much. So like the video I did with my roommate, Steven's in two of both of the two videos that I filmed my roommates. Tim, Andrew, and Steven. Steven makes a cameo appearance at the end because I wanted to say featuring Steven again, even though he wasn't in the second video. But I've always done, we try to do one take because that makes it funnier. So if you laugh, that makes it even funnier. 
Because one of my favorite things of growing up watching SNL was when characters, Bill Hader did it all the time, was break character and start laughing. I loved that on SNL. And that's what I like doing in these videos. So if it, if it doesn't work out or look bad in the video, that's kind of what I'm going for, <laughs> regardless if that's good or bad. But yeah, I hope you watched the video and enjoyed it. If you didn't, I'm sorry. <laughs> I doesn't hurt my feelings because, again, I put about seven minutes of effort, six minutes, 30 seconds of effort into that video. And yeah, that's all I've got for you today for this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, the Blackhawks game just ended. Patrick Kane's thousandth game. The Blackhawks lose 6-1 to one to the Dallas Stars. So, you know, not the greatest way to get your thousandth career game under your belt was a 6-1 drubbing by a division rival in Dallas. But, you know what? Still, you're the greatest American hockey player of all time. So, how bad can it really be? And Dallas is still behind you in the standings. So, it ain't that bad. I know they played. They might have played a little less games. But, you're still behind. they're still behind in the standings. So that's all that really matters. So that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. I really enjoyed the show today. I thought it was a pretty fun, a fun one here today. Talking a little bit about the draft as per usual. Going over the NBA dunk, dunk contest again. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show. And I will see you all on Friday. Peace.